Hello, good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report podcast. I'm Michael Mudo, your host for season four here. Uh, we are of the National Cannabis Industry Association. We are the podcast uh, representing the global majority, aka minority voices in the industry. Uh, part of the, as part of NCIA's ongoing commitment to our DEI program and creating greater diversity, equity, and inclusion in the industry. Um, each week we sit down for a conversation with an inspiring entrepreneur of color and report on the news, providing our take on headlines and interesting, highlighting interesting stories we'd like to share. Today we have an amazing guest, Dr. Mila Marshall. Really looking forward to getting into that conversation. Um, you guys don't even know I've been looking forward to this one for a while. So um, awesome. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, we're going to get into the news. And actually, before I get into the news, just a couple of highlights of uh, some differences here in season four. First of all, you probably noticed we're on LinkedIn Live here. So uh, this is where we'll be living now. We've moved over from Facebook Live to LinkedIn Live. We know that a lot of our uh, followers and cannabis community exist on this platform. Uh, LinkedIn has been very welcoming to the cannabis industry, and we appreciate that. So um, another couple things to note here is we have some great guests coming up over the next several weeks. Uh, and we also will be starting out in, the, in a, I think it's two, three weeks from now, we're going to start our new format of rotating co-hosts uh, that will be uh, here along with me. I know that you're going to be really excited to see who those folks are. Uh, we're going to, I think, hold the suspense a little bit until, uh, until, until you know, you'll have to tune in for that. Uh, so getting into the news, and I'll start out with some NCIA news, a couple of uh, notes that I wanted to make here regarding NCIA news. Is um, the first thing uh, is our global global majority caucus. Uh, we launched that on Friday of last week, and it was just uh, really inspiring uh, and really just uh, I, I don't even know. Inspiring is is one of those words that we kind of use too often, I think. Um, and and this is something I probably need another word for. But for now, I'll use the word inspiring to see that many amazing people uh, all in one place. I kind of felt like uh, you know the Avengers assemble kind of a deal. Um, a lot of people that are, are, you know, just individually doing amazing work uh, in the industry and then coming together, seeing everybody with uh, a sole focus of, you know, how do we create greater diversity, equity, and inclusion at the NCIA and in, 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 in our industry at large, uh, and now having this space carved out for us to be able to collaborate and galvanize and work towards a common goal is, is like I said, truly inspiring. Um, and our guest, actually, uh, Dr. Mila Marshall, was one of the is one of the attendees uh, and, and members of the Global Majority Caucus um, due to her role as the vice chair of the Education Committee here. Uh, so um, that's the first story I wanted to lead with. I'm really excited about that and seeing where that takes us. Uh, another thing I wanted to make sure I noted today, I think last week I mentioned this at the very end of the episode, so I want to make sure to read off with this, is that, uh, you know, NCIA, we go to lobby, we have a lobby days that we, we host every year. Uh, well, we did every year until the pandemic. Uh, last year was our first year in a few years, and this year we're coming back again, May 16th to May 18th in Washington, D.C. We're looking forward to having uh, dozens and if not, maybe a couple hundred even uh, you know, of uh, you know, cannabis industry leaders, uh, business leaders, advocate leaders uh, in D.C., uh, educating and talking with our congressional staffers and congressional members, leaders of Congress that are moving the needle on cannabis, as well as that need to just simply learn more about what it is that the industry needs to see for cannabis. Uh, so that's going to be in May this year. Uh, part of our DEI program includes our DEI delegation. Last year, we made sure to provide travel stipends for uh, several of our, our, our equity members that are truly leaders here at the organization, uh, providing a lot of great policy work and insights. Uh, and so last year, we provided some travel stipends. This year, we're looking forward to doubling the number and amount of travel stipends. Uh, and so for this month, the month of February, uh, all sponsorship dollars that go towards lobby days 
will go directly towards funding our DEI delegation. So if you've been thinking about sponsoring Lobby Days or if you'd like to figure out how do I contribute to making a more equitable industry, this is one of those ways to make sure that our voices are heard and more amplified in DC, as well as uh, throughout the whole organization and, and industry at large. Uh, so those are a couple of news stories I want to lead off with regarding NCAA and now getting into the news in general. So uh, the news segment here, and, and you know, this is something that I, I read this today uh, and I wish I could remember exactly who it was. I should have noted it down. I'll make sure we put a note here later. Uh, but it was a, an, a LinkedIn post uh, that said something along the lines of, there are 10,000 important headlines that get marginalized every time someone focuses on Brad Pitt or Donald Trump. And the reason I'm bringing this up here today is that, you know, I've, I've always been uh, a little bit, I don't know the word, but uh, kind of, you know, we need to see more positive news stories. We need to see more news stories about the things that are going on. People always say, well, I want to know what's going on. And that's why I watch the news. And I always have responded, well, there's lots of other things going on, too, than just what's the big headlines, right? And so one of the things on the Canvas and Minority Report that we really are committed to doing is highlighting the news stories, the newsworthy stories that are happening in our industry, especially amongst our global majority folks. So that's one of the things that we'll be doing a lot here in our uh, news segment. Um, so that said, um, first story I wanted to lead off with here, and first I'll, I'll start kind of big, I'll do the, the bigger stories that are more across the industry, so to speak, and then I'll get into uh, the more detailed stories here that I wanted to highlight, like I just said here. Uh, the first thing is uh, Alabama sending out deficiency notices uh, this week, I believe, uh, on their uh, on their licensing process. What that means is that they are now at the next step of their licensure process for cannabis uh, licensees, uh, for, or for cannabis applicants. This is newsworthy, of course, because it's Alabama, it's the South, it's a state that many people did not think would be coming online for any time soon, and now here we are in 2023, and Alabama is basically uh, you know, another state to come on board and folks are going for their licenses. I know several uh, people in the industry that have really been looking at it as a great opportunity to uh, bring awareness of the plant and what it, its positive effects to the South as a whole. So uh, stay tuned for more information on Alabama. I think there's uh, really a lot of potential there in the South uh, and with Alabama specifically. It's also something to note, and I think Dr. Marshall will probably have a, a much better perspective on this than I, because I, I know Dr. Marshall is very uh, knowledgeable when it comes to farming and black farmers in this country. And I know that Alabama is, is a state that we need to uh, really pay attention to on that note. Um, so um, I don't know, D Dr. Marshall, are you there? Do you, you, uh, do, do you want to uh, weigh in on that at all uh, on this one? So um, I have a couple of people in Alabama that were super excited to see cannabis uh, become legalized. Uh, I think there are some issues and and many, and some have pivoted away from marijuana because of the challenges and the kind of uh, issues between state decriminalization and federal um, uh, legalization. And so those that have pivoted towards hemp, for example, to kind of capitalize on saving their business model are coming into other uh, issues, right? Like human resources. And so do you have the population of people that are trained and have the wherewithal to work in the area of supply chain that you're, you know, kind of focused on? So processing, for example, for hemp um, commodities, uh, there's these bottlenecks where people are not aware that the absence of this industry for nearly 100 years means that the entire supply chain has to be built from scratch, which includes the uh the regulations, ordinances at all levels, at the municipal level, at the county level, and at the state level. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I and, also and, know that there's a HBCU 
in Alabama that will be working with hemp, right? And so you do have like these states that have acknowledged we need research. Uh, we need the next generation of uh, of greenpreneurs in cannabis to really understand both civic engagement, how to you know think about sustainability for the environment, as well as specifically creating business models that uh, dismantle and dissolve uh, systemic inequities between uh, wealth gaps, where people are located, so segregation, um, and a myriad of other things. Awesome, I appreciate that. And I'm still getting used to being called doctor. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute because it's something yeah. that I definitely want to touch on here too. Because I'm really excited to to just uh, even uh, you, you, even your field is something that it's uh, it, it sparks the mind, right? So uh, we'll get into that in a minute here. Um, and and a couple other stories here. One definitely run with. Uh, one of them is two black quarterbacks started the game. Uh, I mean, and that's 57 years. Uh, I think it's it's kind of crazy that it's taken this many years to get to that point but here we are uh and so yesterday of course uh, pat mahomes and jalen hurts squaring off and you know honestly one of the best games ever probably played in the super bowl 38 to 35 kind of nuts uh what i wanted to bring up here was that uh, aside from that uh you know remarkable um you know feat in the first place um the justice foundation was part of a consumption park at the super bowl and the justice foundation is an organization uh based um i think they're based out in new york uh, Cheryl Marie Powell is the uh, you know uh, COO, and they've been doing a lot of work to to how how to basically be advocates for legacy operators and how to bring legacy operators into the cannabis industry uh, to really create something equitable. Um, and so I think that the remarkable thing for me here is that this was you know the fact that this was a consumption party a park at the Super Bowl. Uh, you know it, we've come a long way, so to speak, right? The the, the NFL being one of the more uh, conservative organizations, especially in in the sports world. Uh, so basically seeing this uh, attached to a Super Bowl event, of course, I don't think it was an NFL sponsored event, but still having it be something attached and Arizona, of course, coming as far as they have with their cannabis regulations and being able to do consumption parks and things of that nature uh, means that we've come a long way. Still a lot of ways to go, but curious to see what will happen for next year's Super Bowl. Um, I don't know where that is. I will have to find that out. Um, so, all right. Um, a few companies I definitely want to highlight here today. Uh, in, and especially, in, you know, in, in speaking with uh, the fact that it's Black History Month, I'm going to lead with uh, several Black-owned businesses. Uh, and the first one I want to lead with here is uh, Queen Mary, uh, specifically because Queen Mary is part of a uh, Black-in-business uh, curated box of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of cannabis uh, products and uh, featuring five different companies. So Queen Mary, SF Roots, Dose of Saucy, Landrace Origins, and Farmer Don. Um, you know, we'll make sure we get these links out to you so that you can learn more about these companies and, and also find, figure out how to get this box yourself. Uh, we're not, of course, advocating for, you know, the, the, the sales or anything like that. We're just simply advocating for supporting these companies. Um, you know, I, I say not advocating for the sales because I know we have to be a little bit careful here with how we do things. Um, but, um, but basically, you know, uh, we do support these businesses and, and we'd like to see them succeed. And having these stellar powerhouses all together in one place is really amazing to see. Uh, so thank you, Queen Mary, for letting us know about that. Um, Calixium, uh, our, one of our board members, uh, Rebecca Colette, is uh, the CEO of uh, Calixium. And they had a post recently that I thought was awesome that showed uh, their their swag. They're basically, they have a bunch of uh, hoodies and, and, and shirts that are not just simply hoodies and shirts, right? They're statements. And um, the one that, the two that caught my eye were Support Black Growers Hoodie and the Invest in Black Cannabis Hoodie. Uh, so basically two real problems we see in this industry, which is that uh, in that part of the supply chain, the uh, cultivation side of the supply chain, we see very few black growers, black owned businesses. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, on the other side of things, uh, with investments, uh, we see very little money flowing into Black-owned businesses. So uh, thank you, Coexium, for you know taking the lead on that and and putting these out there and everybody go and get your hoodies. So another company I wanted to highlight there. They're out, out there in Michigan, by the way. And uh, the, the first ones I mentioned, they're in California. So just a note. And uh, some of them I believe also have a footprint in other states, but I believe the box that we're talking about is in California. Um, another couple things here to mention, the Social Equity Symposium uh, being uh, hosted by the Social Equity Empowerment Network and the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association is taking place on Tuesday, February 28th in Chicago. So this is a symposium to help assist social equity business owners to be successful by providing the tools needed to become operational and get the knowledge needed to conduct business in this highly regulated industry. Uh, it, the event is complimentary for license holders. And it's another place to plug in, get access to resources, network with one another, support one another, and really learn how to be successful. Because the first step is getting your license. The next 25 steps or whatever it may be thereafter is basically running a successful business. And we know that that takes a lot of people and a lot of resources to make happen in the highly regulated industry. Um, so really great to see uh, one of our, our, our allied associations, SEEN, um, S-E-E-N, uh, making this, uh, these strides. And they've been doing the work on the ground out there in Chicago for a while, along with a lot of other great groups. Um, before we get into the last news bit, I did want to mention, uh, somebody asked me last week, I mentioned uh, uh, Michael Webster and the Fallen Weaves uh, dinner series, the Infused Dinner Series out there in Michigan and Detroit. Uh, the next one is coming up uh, later this month. I believe it's the 26th of the month, uh, Sunday dinner. And somebody asked me, because uh, I mentioned that they had a vegan option. They said, well, what kind of vegan option is it? Um, so if you don't want to get the grass-fed short ribs or the sustainably caught rainbow trout, you can get the marinated wild mushrooms served with cauliflower and white bean puree, roasted winter vegetables, sweet onion confit, shermula, and micro sorrel. To me, all these things are newsworthy because the reality is, is that this is something that, you know, we need to recognize that we're elevating an industry here, but it's more than just elevating an industry. We're bringing an elevation of culture into the industry. We're bringing the elevation of, you know, just doing things better. Uh, cannabis allows and provides us with an excellent opportunity to shift the paradigm and create a whole new paradigm. So I'm going to keep highlighting these businesses. We'll keep highlighting these types of businesses here on the Cannabis Minority Report because this is newsworthy. We are creating history here, uh, which is a great segue into um, uh, Dr. Mila Marshall, who, uh, you know, had a post recently about, uh, about you know, um, uh, creating history and Black History Month. Uh, Dr. Mila, what I really appreciated was the way that you framed everything and that you you stated very clearly you are creating Black history uh, because, that, I mean, that's literally what you're doing. And uh, so, you know, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm going to ask you to present the last news story because this is actually from your column uh, in Cannabis News or Chicago News Weekly. There's a Cannabis Corner column that you that you edit and, and uh, you know, that you've actually also provided, make sure to provide other voices and get other voices out there in the industry. Um, so, you know, before we, we do that little news bit, I just want to say thank you for joining us. Um, it's really been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit that I have over the last uh, year or two now. We got to um, meet in person at the at the Chicago State University um, stop of the Green Enterprise HBCU College to Careers Initiative. Uh, and that was, you know, uh, I got I got the pleasure of being, you know, the privilege of really uh, we did. We hosted an office hours uh, with with yourself and Shawnee uh, Williams, uh, you know, as um, NCI leaders. Uh, we hosted some office hours uh, for with some of the students and social equity um, students there in, in Chicago. And, you know, uh, I'll say this very simply is that, you know, I pretty much uh, I, it was easy for me. I got I just got to show up and kind of sit there and, you know, field the initial question and then turn it over to you and basically get to be part of the audience in a sense, uh, listening to the insights that you had to, to, to lay out there. That was my first experience with getting here. You talk. 
Um, I've also now gotten to hear you talk on the Power Hour a couple of times, which is the Zoom call we do with our equity members here at NCA. And, you know, the conversations may start out with something simple about sustainability or ecology, because uh, I know your degree is, and I'm going to butcher this word, that I, I wrote this down somewhere in my notes here. You have a PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology with a focus on ecosystem services and urban agriculture in segregated Chicago. Um, I mean, you know, we'll get into that in a minute. But first, before we do, uh, there was a story that I, I wanted you to, to, to you know, uh, provide some commentary and share on uh, regarding um, Vic Mensa and 93 Boys. So could you please uh, tell us about that, the, the recent column that you, you published in uh, Chicago News Weekly? Absolutely. So hi, everyone. Uh, I'm the editor of Cannabis Corner. And in our uh, previous edition, which was published on the 25th, it was our music edition. And so staying in alignment with that, we have amazing Vic Mensa, who we get to call our own uh, Chicago native. And he has the very first um, social equity black owned brand in the state of Illinois called 93 Boys. You might be familiar with that. Um, the tagline is don't run out of gas. And uh, I think when I told this story and I was looking around at how cannabis is talked about and even how black and brown people are talked about and our issues and our businesses, it really didn't dig deep into why it is his program or his his uh, broader impacts were so important. Um, so Books Before Bars is a program that uh, was uh, amplified by Vic Mensa's brand. He had been sending books to prisoners um, years before this company um, had come into existence. And so um, the story is really about the intentionality of finding your lane. And so in Illinois, um, in our prison system, uh, about half of those incarcerated are African-Americans. And so we know that literature and literacy can free someone's mind no matter where their body is. And so there is a list of books that Mensa works collaboratively with other Black um, uh, bookstores, for example, to get books delivered and sent to Illinois prisons. The story also goes over at the same time uh, we in the cannabis sector were advocating for uh, House Bill 1438, a year prior, uh, Illinois Department of Corrections had um, removed about 200 titles from the approved literature list. One of those books is actually on Vic Mensa's um, uh, is in the population of books that he wishes to send people. Frederick Douglass is on the band list. Um, Asada Shakur is on the band list, right? And so um, it was a it was an honor to understand the intentionality behind how a brand is using its notoriety or or a celebrity is using their leverage to bring attention to other issues uh, for people that are incarcerated. And so um, I will drop the link in the chat box and we would love for you to read it, pass it on. Um, check out 93 Boys and all that they're doing. And then if you have any other amazing social equity stories um, that are relevant to Black and Brown America or even the Midwest, we would love to tell your story. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Dr. Marshall. Welcome to the show. And thank you. Uh, absolutely. And so one of the things I want to ask you, you know, piggybacking off of the Chicago News Weekly, uh, can you tell us about, you know, your experience there and what you're really trying to accomplish with the Cannabis Corner? And what can you tell us a little bit more actually about Chicago News Weekly, because I think it's an interesting story itself. Sure. Uh, yeah. So Chicago News Weekly is a brand new media outlet uh, based here in the city. We are a Black woman-owned media outlet. We call ourselves the Voice of Chicago. And so Cannabis Corner began because I was doing all of these events, and I'm very active both in the educational space and in the um, kind of uh, policy space and social equity, all of the things. 
And um, I had been, I'd written a couple of articles for Cannabis Business Times, for example, was one of the very first instructors um, in 2020 when the legislation, you know, kind of went live and also joined NCIA as uh, an education committee member. And so I had been giving talks and pivoted to incorporate and include cannabis um, because as an ecologist, I focus on food and agricultural commodities and urban agricultural commodities in segregated cities. Like it literally was a no brainer. And so when I was invited to take on, um, you know, this project, the purpose was to provide high quality information that allowed for someone to articulate the nuances of this really dynamic and somewhat volatile and frustrating industry. We're looking at people who are hyper optimistic in their abilities and their skills, but are network poor. Um, we're looking at dismantling the harms of the war on drugs without spreading that out to how that impacts black farmers and brown farmers, for example. And so we have this separation between hemp, medical and adult use. We also have people who are engaging in policymaking who have never engaged before. And so you're, you're requiring, there's a steep learning curve, I guess that's what I'm saying. And I wish to kind of use my skill set as a researcher to find out information that's accurate, help people let go of inaccurate information sooner than later, and also spread that around because our networks are so fragmented. And through a publication um, that's actually in print, it also gives us a different kind of reach. There are many websites and social media sites and blogs and things like that. There is mis misinformation online and it doesn't have to be maliciously done, but information switches so fast. If you get an article a week late, you're already behind. And now you're thinking that this is real and you might be making business decisions off of inaccurate information. And so the, the column was created to merge the um, education piece. Um, you know, it is edutaining because you get to learn about people you might not have known about. You get to lift up voices that if you don't Google or use a hashtag don't exist. Um, and so I've really enjoyed um, telling the stories, finding the stories that are relevant, especially to Black Chicagoans. Awesome. I appreciate that background and, and the work that you're doing there. Um, I also love that it's in print, right? It's, we forget that this that news still can go out in print. And so I know Chicago News Weekly, I believe, goes out in print as well as yes. being digital. So And it's absolutely free, right? And uh, there aren't many places where you can get stories about cannabis and uh and Black people. So uh, I'm unapologetically Black right now because that is our newspaper's base. And I know that can be uncomfortable for some people that we use BIPOC and communities of color, but the paper does create these boundaries for um, Black Chicagoans because we do have our own cultural um, issues that are not shared in the same way. Uh, we might share the 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 you know, institute that's oppressing us, but how it's interpreted and impacts us is a little different. And so our game plan might require different strategies. And I think that's the other part that, you know, you, you'll see cannabis content um, and it'll be about the businesses, right? It'll be about the plant touching. It'll be very technical, for example, how to start, uh, but the stories behind it, not so much. So that's, that's been enjoyable. Awesome. Appreciate that perspective. Uh, last week, I believe it was, Chris Jackson was here talking about uh, prioritization and people have different priorities, right? But we all have a lot of the same priorities and they overlap with each other. And so I think that's what you're also talking about here is that, you know, we can talk about BIPOC people of color, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that there, there isn't also a culture of Black Chicagoans, 
or whatever else that the culture may be. And we don't need to apologize for that, right? The reality is, and this is leading to my next question is, um, you know, I would love for you to, um, uh, I heard you talk about intersectionality in a way that I've never heard really spoken before. Um, and I think that that's a lot of what, it, if I understand intersectionality properly and, and interdisciplinarianism, uh, I think that's what you're talking about here, basically like a different, um, so I'm, instead of me butchering it, I'm gonna ask you if you could kind of, uh, you know, give us your definition of, inter, of, inter, of intersectionality and how it applies to the different things you're talking about. Yeah, sure. So um, I was introduced to the concept probably later on in my graduate program where uh, I was practicing interdisciplinary research, right, where I'm using, um, you know, ecology and social sciences and history and bringing them together to answer a question that uh, that I was interested in. And so when we think about how our race or in our gender, our age, um, our educational background intersect with each other, it creates another hierarchy of, um, you know, based on our identities. And so, for example, what's unfortunate is that for many of us who um, are unfamiliar with the struggles of other communities of color, we do not see how it is that we can lift each other's voices up. And so you'll have these social equity uh, kind of bubbles um, where you are completely unfamiliar to uh, the conversations of uh, indigenous and first nations people as it relates to cannabis and getting access to the supply chain. You are completely uh, unaware of how uh, immigration and citizenship, right? Of a community that you do not belong to has conflicts with cannabis. Uh, we we can tend to live in the space of uh, this is what I'm experiencing. Um, and sometimes people have called it the oppression Olympics. Like, you know, we're worse off, we're worse off. But but uh, it allows seeing with having an intersectional lens allows for you to do um, kind of this assessment of how your identities engage with each other. And so as a black woman from Chicago, um, the resources that are available to me are very different than a black woman in rural Illinois, for example. And so those things come together and change how we're seen, the politics of who we are, the resources that are made accessible for us, and even how people perceive our vulnerabilities. I really appreciate that perspective and the way you break that down, you know, I, the oppression Olympics is a term I use here and there myself because it's something that we need to really get away from. Uh, you know, we need to be respectful of each other's different journeys and and how we got to where we are and different uh, you know struggles and challenges. Uh, but we need to recognize that a lot of the, the oppression Olympics that we play against each other is by design and is something that, you know, uh, the more that we keep separate from each other, the more that we keep so that we're not intersecting, that we're not interdisciplinary, um, the more that we end up fighting for things that seem very disparate and different from each other. But to the point, you know, we're making a minute ago here with the prioritization of things, a lot of our priorities would overlap if we were just to sit down in the room together and be a little bit more open to hearing each other uh, and recognizing that, hey, okay, we're not, I'm not going to get everything I want, but I wasn't going to get everything I wanted anyway. Right. So let's see, how can we work together to get what most of us can benefit from and those that are maybe benefiting less on this round, how do we make sure we elevate those voices? How do we make sure that, you know, they those voices are heard? I know that we're trying to do, for example, some more work with the indigenous community 
Um, we've, you know, we, we've uh, connected with some of the, uh, the the associations. Mary Jane Oatman is somebody that I've really, uh, you know, gotten a little bit over the last couple of years as well. But we know we need to do a better job of that because it's something that was left out for a long time and what we've been advocating for and with, um, not by design, but just because we didn't intersect as much as we needed to. So we're looking to intersect more now. Um, so no, thank you for that, uh, for that perspective. Um, so um, let's see, got a couple other things here. And a couple, oh, you know, so look, uh, you mentioned it, and I think now I definitely want to uh, bring it up here. So your your PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology with a focus on ecosystem services and agriculture in segregated Chicago. So um, what does this mean? <laughs> what, what what you know? Can you tell us what what that means? Such a mouthful, and I want to say thank you to everybody in the chat box that's throwing down their appreciations. And Donna says, legalization of cannabis is a human right. I completely agree. There and there are tons of different types of deserts. There and one thing that we don't think about is a rest desert, right? Like how much time a person of color or a black person has to sell more than um, their counterpart who's white in order to get the same amount of money, right? And so stress on the body. Um, so thank you for all of your comments in there. Uh, ecologists are actually, um, and, and you can put it in the chat box if you think you know what, what an ecologist does, right? So as ecologists, we study the intersection between uh, the environment, an organism and its environmental surroundings. And that can be um, at the individual level, at the population level, you have ecologists that study um, the movement of nutrients or resources. And so for me, I was very passionate in understanding um, how nature in cities provides benefits or protections specifically to address issues uh, that black bodies deal with from living in a segregated city. And so, for example, we have a ton of industry located on one side of town um, where it's predominantly African-American. And so through studying nature, um, I've been able to understand what are the risks um, and resources and rewards for um, reducing air pollution, not just for the benefit of the physical body, but how does cleaner air actually increase the productivity of your garden or your farm? And we know this at the large scale, but Illinois has lost, I want to say like maybe 50% of its crops at one time because of ozone. And so if our traditional agriculture is struggling both with uh, being resource intensive and using an immense amount of nitrogen fertilizers that creates um, uh, uh, and pools in our fresh water, contaminating our water and you know, creating algal blooms, um, and that's happening in our state, what is it going to look like when people overuse or misuse fertilizers for this really, really thirsty crop in a smaller area of the city? Um, but the segregated part came because it seemed like we totally forget how, you know, having concentrated poverty interacts with the environment. And so when you have people that don't have disposable income or they have different environmental preferences, it does feedback onto the natural environment. So you don't have people buying potted plants and trees at the same rate because of their disposable income. It doesn't mean that they don't support the environment, doesn't mean they don't like it. Um, it means that they are reprioritizing their money or it could even be their environmental policies, right? Like, are we gonna institute recycling that you know increases our sanitation bill when we don't have enough schools or school teachers as people are moved around due to gentrification? And so these are some of the things that interested me 
And cannabis got into it because it's a crop, right? It's an agricultural commodity. Um, it needs water. It needs energy. Um, it needs nutrients. Um, the way in which we are forced to grow it because of our uh, legislation, Illinois has the greenest legislation in America, um, increases the costs of operations and the construction of your build in order to be sustainable. But we also know that African-Americans uh, and city folks um, are uh, there, there's some room to grow when it comes to environmental literacy. And then you tag on, well, if you have to be green and sustainable, do you even know people in your network that provide products and services that are plumbers and people that can do irrigation um, that look like you? And we're finding that no. So we're seeing all these gaps um, because of uh, the legacy of racism and systemic inequity. And so while our attention is on the war on drugs and uh, reversing the harms, it has permeated through every sector of society and touches every aspect of, of Black people's lives. And so um, I enjoy food system studies. It's, it's helping people pivot this to this is an agricultural commodity. Hasn't been a heavy lift, uh, but I think more and more people are starting to understand that uh, when plants are the beginning of the supply chain, <laughs> um, making it really expensive for people to grow uh, makes the product more expensive for people to purchase. And those that are growers and farmers also get the smallest amount of profitability, um, you know, in comparison to everybody else across the supply chain. Absolutely. And, and it's where we lose a lot of the integrity of the plant. Uh, it's why, you know, to your point with ecosystems, it's so important to, to be aware of this, right? Because uh, you know, when you build an ecosystem out and the ecosystem to your point, it's not just about the environmental ecosystem as far. Well, it is environmental, but it's not just about, you know, so-called nature and plants and water and things like that. Although that, right. that is absolutely included. And now you're How, talking about what yeah. kind of water, right? I remember telling right. someone, honestly, their cannabis plants get cleaner water than black people. Mm. Right. And I'll say, I'll, I'll say that because we have cities right now, like university park, Illinois, that's struggling with lead in their water. Right. Um, we have places that um, don't trust their water because of, uh, you know, other environmental practices like fracking. And so to have a plant that requires the highest quality of water to make a product while we're seeing water insecurities and water inequities in black and brown communities, there's a bit of a mismatch. And so I want to turn our attention back to the Mensa model for why it is it's so important that even for BIPOC brands to understand where do you fit and not just where do you fit, what is the priority? Um, when cannabis, you know, was coming on board, I was telling my peers like, hey, uh, we might want to keep an eye on this because this plant uses eight times the amount of water that corn does to produce the same yield. Why is that important? It definitely matters where you grow this plant, unless you can figure out a way to conserve water or create a facility that uses the least amount of water and do precision agriculture, which is really expensive. Um, you're going to have a hard time uh, being sustainable and uh, conserving all of your natural resources. And what is it going to look like when we have a certain number of growers who have different practices? who aren't required to request for a, a pollutant discharge permit, for example, because they have an exemption. So again, 
um, while you know we're moving this industry forward, for me, it is I don't want to create another industry that comes back and pollutes our air, land, and water because it's going to negatively impact us and disproportionately impact us. So whether that is helping um, entrepreneurs uh, lobby and learn how to lobby against uh, packaging, right? Like in Illinois, we are trying to move away from single-use plastics. But here it is, we create an entirely new waste stream where things are packaged in like five and six, you know, non-recyclable, non-compostable. Where does it go? It goes into a landfill. Where are landfills? Likely associated with a low-income community of color. Absolutely. And then potentially polluting the water supply there and so on and so forth, right? It's, yeah, again, ecosystem and things being sick, you know, all in a cycle and all connected to each other. The interconnectedness is, is real, even if we try to sometimes put ourselves into silos or we are put into silos sometimes, um, or if others take that ostrich approach and put their head in the sands. Um, so a couple of things here that, you know, I mean, I, we, we, like I said, like I, I, I really enjoy listening to you talk about all these different uh, topics. So now I'm like looking at my list and I'm saying, okay, what things do we want to make sure we touch on before we head out of here today? Um, one thing I'm really curious about is Full Fest. Uh, so you own Full Fest, a music festival held at a private Black-owned park on the south side of Chicago. Can you yes. tell us about Full Fest? Yeah. I am about all things green and also helping people understand what it takes to repair our relationships with disinvested communities. And so Fuller Park is um, one of 77 Chicago communities. It's the smallest one. Um, Eden Place Nature Center is the name of the property. It is the only private owned nature center in the state of Illinois. It's also black owned. Um, the space uh, was an illegal fly dumping site where they found that the kids in the community had some really high levels of lead. Instead of turning it into a farm to grow food, they created a nature center to help connect urban kids to the realities of nature, which is extremely important. If you don't know where your water comes from, if you don't know how trees help protect, you know, from um, heat waves, we're creating homeowners and business owners that are developing business models that don't fit within the shifts that climate change is bringing. And so I was been, I've been working with Mr. Howard for 10 years and how we educate people on the environment, especially Black people, um, I've learned you cannot shame and gloom and doom doesn't work and lectures are boring. And so instead of um, uh, putting fear into people, it's inviting them to come to a place that's constructed specifically for us. Um, we do not have to work with the park district. Um, doing work and uh, monetizing events along the lakefront isn't really financially accessible. And so um, I turned my attention away from public areas and into private black areas. It's a three and a half acre piece of land. Um, and we use that to passively educate folks on the importance of the environment. The whole goal is to let it grow and, and bring in sponsorship from um, black uh, and green and blue businesses that cannot afford to do traditional marketing. Because again, as we all are trying to seek to be profitable, if you don't have any customers, you don't have any profits. And so we we take very seriously operating in the black, um, negotiating contracts for fair profits so that we can keep sponsorship as low as $50, for example. Um, in, this, uh, in this era of pay to play, if you can't afford to put your name on, event, on an event that does have values aligned, no one knows who you are. And so we're not here to be greedy. Um, we know that the little guy needs to win. 
And with all of the summertime shy fun, uh, we thought, you know, why not? And so it's definitely something near and dear to my heart. I'm crossing my fingers so that it can grow to like have like an all electric car, uh, electric car show to discuss electrification um, and promote healthy and green living, as well as helping people learn how to pivot their businesses uh, because of climate change. And so very similar in cannabis, not all of the supply chain is open right now. And so how do you move your attention to what's needed? Um, what do I need to learn to make sure my business doors stay open? Or I said on the power hour, you know, real bosses know when to cut their losses and uh, build up the equity into your business and sell it. Real bosses know when to cut their losses. I love that one. And um, and yeah, no, I mean, it, so when when is uh, Full Fest, by the way? Uh, do you have it on the calendar uh, for this yeah, year? Full Fest is July 1st, uh, 3 p.m. We are looking for sponsors. If you have any swag and you want to be a part of it, uh, you're more than welcome to reach out. Um, I actually sat on the NCIA education committee last year and went to New York for a networking session and met a, a generous sponsor, um, Honey uh, Ronit from Honeysuckle. And uh, they donated uh, over a hundred really dope magazines. If you do not know what who Honeysuckle is, I mean, just a total badass. Um, and so being in this space has allowed for me to make connections with uh, with other entities. And we know that cannabis businesses have a really hard time getting their name out there. Advertising and marketing is really scary, um, especially for those who are holding the space. Um, not everybody is well educated on it. And so I look to create experiences that is uh, low barriers of entry for cannabis businesses where it makes sense. It's all adult. We're not promoting uh, the usage of it, you know, but it is to somebody has to be unafraid to move us into a space where we're normalizing businesses that are cannabis businesses telling people we exist. Yeah. We outside. outside. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Um, and so, you know, uh, again, we come back to, you know, intersectionality, interdisciplinarianism, and really creating an ecosystem. I think that, you know, the thing I really appreciate about you is, I mean, I have a list of things I want to ask you about that we're not just not going to get to today because mm -hmm. you are creating, you really look at things through an ecosystem lens. You look at things through, it's not just one thing. It's how do these different pieces fit together, but also not just let's throw a bunch of stuff out there because we need to, but how do we do it intentionally? And make sure that they interconnect and that they, you know, can be um, very holistic and synergistic so that they feed off of each other and you create these positive feedback loops, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, before we go uh, take a break and then we'll come back and do our game, uh, we have a new game segment that we do now. Uh, so before we do that, uh, I did want to just ask you real quick, um, you know, you mentioned you're, you're newly Dr. Marshall. Um, what is that like? Like, what is it like to have the, to the those letters and, and, you know, what has it been like for you? Um, so I've been pursuing this degree for 14 years. Um, honestly, when I first, I had to like go back and look at my first uh, project. I wanted to study cannabis and climate change. Um, and my professor, and this was in 2010, and he was like, yeah, no. And, and only because he said the red tape is insane. We will not be able to get approval. Uh, but my advisor also, um, you know, like I, I wasn't so connected to it that I had to make it happen. I mean, I very well could have and then focused on industrial hemp, for example. Um, but that pursuit, even though it took me so long, I've built relationships and understandings about how um, environmental policies work, um, how people perceive environmentalists. And um, having been a green business owner and an environmentalist and EJ activist, I get it. 
because we're constantly making recommendations for groups of people we don't belong to. And so having people who've never owned and operated or had to be responsible for payroll for someone to pay their mortgage, it's really easy for me to tell you to, you know, um, stop this practice or um, sunset a certain product uh, without understanding everything that goes behind it. And so I've developed an immense amount of uh, humility about learning about the system that other people live in and operate in um, with, with grace and, uh, you know, without feeling super elitist. Um, being a PhD in this space, I think looking like myself does uh, help other businesses acknowledge that this is a real industry, that there's real research going on with it, and uh, we take it seriously. And so having the background that I have both in policy and nonprofit focused on water and food waste um, at the city to the Great Lakes level really does uh, kind of benefit the entire conversation of as we develop new industries during climate change, what is it that we need to make sure we're thinking about? Um, and so having these letters gives me more credibility to discuss how industries have unintentionally caused harm towards Black people through their processes and supply chain, through where things are located, and um, really help people understand if we want to get social equity, it isn't just getting licenses. It also is tackling the realities of like 47% of Black people are unbanked or underbanked. How is it that we ever think we're going to get anything to be financially equitable if the same banks that we're trying to push to take these billions of dollars are still going to allocate it in a way that retains financial inequity? If we still can't get home loans after the market is flooded with these billions of dollars, what is that doing? If we have not created a relationship between businesses and BIPOC financial institutions, right, which is something that people just we move safe banking forward, but no one's reflecting on. So there's 25 black banks left in America, right? How do we purposely work with them and make these dollars move further for non-cannabis businesses and black, uh, black communities to have access to that capital, to purchase homes, to purchase vehicles, to improve their homes and start other uh, non-cannabis related businesses? Because we need those. Absolutely. I think the key word that I heard in there that you mentioned, or the key concept that I mentioned, was humility. Because you know, I asked you about your, you know, you and and you have the letters, and it, it becomes about everybody else, right? It becomes about what you're doing here to advocate for others and how to help others with those letters. So, just you know, first of all, congratulations, big congratulations, 14 years. I mean, that's that's not nothing, you know. That that's a lot. That's 14 years of a journey. Of I can't imagine the amount of red tape and the, the amount of hours and the amount of navigating that you had to do. So. Big congratulations um, on that. Yeah, with three kids too. I wanted to be Jeez. finished before my daughter graduated college. And, um, you know, I'm really proud. My my grandmother was, uh, she traveled up from Plaquemine Parish. She was born in 1913. So she was a part of the Great Migration. Wow. And she said she came up here to give her family better opportunities um, and access to better education. So she had a fourth grade education. And uh, to know that we went from a fourth grade education to a PhD within three generations, um, educated from pre-K to PhD right here in my own city um, means so very much to me. 
That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I didn't know all that before we we got uh, you know to to work together at the Chai State um, you know events. So now this is great to have that that understanding that background story. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, I think uh, Vince is telling me it's time to go to uh, the the our ad break. So we're going to do that real quick now, and we'll come back for our game segment. So uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with our game segment here with uh, Dr. Mila Marshall. So take it away, Vince. Be sure to join NCIA at thecannabisindustry.org. Well, here at the National Cannabis Industry Association, we have proudly represented small businesses across the cannabis industry since 2010. We represent Main Street Cannabis, not Wall Street Cannabis. We have come so far in this fight to legalize cannabis that it seems that it's almost inevitable. And we're the ones making sure that as those rules are written, they favor small businesses, mom and pop operators, and Main Street Cannabis, not Wall Street Cannabis. In addition to making sure that your voice is heard at the federal level, being a member of NCIA also means building a vibrant community of small business owners within the cannabis space. Because we can always learn so much better by working together, learning from our mistakes and our successes, and building this industry together. So if you're interested in making sure that small businesses and Main Street Cannabis has a seat at the table, be sure to join NCIA at thecannabisindustry.org. So I just got to say, you know, we, we we made a choice to keep the show here on Monday, the live recordings, and I'm so glad we did because this is such a great way for me to start the week personally. Uh, really gets me in the right mindset. I just really appreciate the conversation we just had here, uh, Dr. Milo Marshall. Um, and, and, you know, I hope everybody else here listening does as well. If you don't check it out until the midweek or, you know, whenever your podcast listening is, that's fine. Make sure you subscribe, uh, and make sure that you, uh, you check in on the, on the live recordings when possible, but definitely subscribe either way, uh, so that we come up in your feeds for your podcasts. Um, that said, we're about to do our game segment here. So I got a couple of questions. Our, the, our, our game segment is called quick question. Uh, unless of course somebody has a better name for it. Uh, and the game will evolve. Of course, this is only our second, uh, uh time running it. So always open to suggestions of uh, either names or, or how to frame the games. Um, so thanks, Vince. Uh, so and a shout out quickly here to Vince Chandler. Again, I just have to point out that Vince is amazing and makes all the magic happen, has been holding down the fort for now four seasons with the Cannabis Minority Report. Um, and so just really a big shout out to Vince here. Um, all right. So first question, uh, with cannabis terpenes, it's no question that the nose knows. Uh, smelling your flower buds is one of the easiest ways to familiarize yourself with a particular strain of cultivation, right? I mean, I can still smell certain strains from from back in the day that I just I, I'm craving that still that same flavor, that same taste. Uh, so terpenes are are, are really important. Um, Overregulation, however, can mean that the loss of the consumer's experience. Uh, so, which historically 420 friendly state can you not start your selection by smelling your cannabis? Uh, is it Colorado? Oregon, California, or Nevada. So which state can you not go ahead and sample through uh, the nose? Colorado, Oregon, California, or Nevada? Hey, maybe Nevada. So I was just in Nevada and they actually let me take the jar and sip, sniff and smell. I'm assuming it was legitimate because it was a licensed uh, facility. I absolutely knew that. Um, so it's not Nevada. It's different from like every, so which could be different from um, even though you can do it doesn't mean that every dis dispensary takes advantage of it. Right. So I do remember I went to planet uh, 13. Is that what it is? The big yep. one. It's insane. But there was no there was like a scratch and sniff, which I was like, what does this do? 
<laughs> so the answer is actually California. California, it's uh, California products need to be sold completely sealed in individual packages. Um, so, you know, California, the state where we talk about legacy, we talk about, the you know, the, the development of the industry. And there's so many regulations because that's something else that people I think a lot of people do are aware of this. But for somebody that grew up out here in California and in San Francisco specifically, overregulation is definitely a thing. <laughs> um, and the fact that you can't uh, simply take your buds out and smell them is is really something that I hope that we get to change at some point in time. I'm assuming somebody's working on that already. But uh, hopefully we get to change that. So, yeah, it's California. Um, all right. And then the next one, next question here is uh, we selected uh, Vince. Uh, you know, thanks for providing this specifically here for, for Dr. Marshall's episode oh, so here is, with us. This is fault. All right. I'm ready. This is Vince's fault. So your expertise is in the intersection of cannabis economy and environment. A consistent criticism of the overregulation of the industry is that most of our cultivation is forced indoors, where more energy is consumed for things like humidity and temperature controls, artificial lights, et cetera, right? Watering systems, as you mentioned earlier. While indoor cultivation does offer more control and quality, anyone who has ever consumed something grown under the sun from Humboldt knows that growers should be given the choice, right? So the question is, what state's early overregulation model is held up as the one with the most adverse environmental impacts due to an almost statewide de facto ban on outdoor cultivation? Is it Washington, Oregon, California, or Colorado? Washington. We're going to go here with uh, Colorado. And Vince, I'm assuming you're right here <laughs> with providing this, but Colorado is actually they the state. They wanted the everything indoors? A de facto ban on outdoor cultivation. Yeah, it's why almost uh, so uh, pretty much all of the, the grows in Colorado seem to come from indoors. It's not that they don't have outdoor cultivation. It's that it's um, it's very, very challenging to make it work <laughs> um, and that indoor cultivation ends up being the way it goes. So I'm going to find out more about that specific thing in, in case, uh, you know, because I'm actually curious about this now because I thought that there was outdoor cultivation in, uh, in Colorado, too. But I think that, uh, you know, Vince is uh, going ahead. OK. Got you. Well, I, so I do um, know that there were a couple of stories on moratoriums for um, for flowering hemp, for example, which is another thing that we don't really think about. Like, um, so like we've ever smelled, we we like that skunky smell, but imagine that times a thousand, right, during the summertime, and your home is surrounded by flowering hemp, and so those noxious smells can actually do the opposite, decrease your um, your real estate value, make you sick. There were stories in California also. Where these yeah, it's a arms. big thing. Yeah, so it's, it's a huge thing. So I, I, I also understand that besides resources, the way that these plants engage with the rest of the environment and society, oftentimes can be unfavorable. And we don't really see, you know, if you're if you're unfamiliar with, like you said, this kind of ecosystem lens and framework, you can completely dismiss the fact, like, okay, well, uh, this might actually cause harm at this scale if we might have to diversify with how we grow over over the season to be in good graces with our neighbors. All the more reason, again, that ecology is so important and understanding how all these ecosystems come together. So. Uh, Dr. Marshall, I think you went over two with the the quick question game, but you're killing it in like basically everything else. So I think that it's okay to go over two in this game. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, thank you so much for bringing all your insights, your wisdoms, your experience. You have, I think, one of the most important voices in, that I see in our industry and I hear in our industry right now. And so, you know, just keep doing what you're doing because I think it's it's so inspiring. I know it's so inspiring to many, myself included. And I know that it's something that is very important, very needed. So thank you so much, Dr. Marshall. Uh, I look forward to having you back at some point in time so we can keep the conversation going. 
Um, in the meantime, uh, everybody here, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so stoked for next week. Uh, next week, we're going to have Rebecca Colette from Colixium in Michigan uh, joining us. Uh, and, and that's going to be another great conversation. Mm -hmm.